Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. I'm so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. I'm Rachel, and I'm grateful you are listening in today. Each week on this podcast, I tackle tough topics Christian face today as we untangle life together. This week is no different on the difficulty level of the conversation. Today, we're wrestling down how to live after loss. Recently, a friend sent a message to me that included the story of an entangled whale bound by nets and ropes barely able to swim. When a group of fishermen saw the mammoth fish, they were determined to set it free and spent hours, technically three days, working slowly but surely to free the enormous creature from the tangled mess. After my friend sent the story and photo to me, I began searching for more details on the story. What I found surprised me, and yet it didn't. I didn't find just one story, but story after story of how whales have been freed by fishermen, Navy SEALs, and marine biologists over the last decade. I learned a few lessons from this story, and I thought I would share them with you because the story made me think about navigating grief. Why? Because at the time, learning to live after loss feels incredibly isolating and lonely. But when you start to see through all the tangles that grief and sorrow bring, you realize that you aren't the only whale entrapped by fishing nets and ropes. You're just the one currently caught. The big question is, how do you learn to live again when you have suffered deep loss? While there is no easy answer to the seed question, as I look back over the journey of the last two years since our Taylor girl graduated to heaven, I can certainly see a few principles that helped me ride the roller coaster of emotions that result from losing a child, or a parent, or a grandparent, or aunt, or uncle, or limb, or physical function, or job. Because when I say deep loss, depth of loss is in accordance with the one who experienced it, and not the experience itself. When Joanna Weaver interviewed me last spring on her podcast, The Living Room, one of the issues we discussed in navigating grief and loss is that comparing losses is so futile. Just like we shouldn't compare our abilities, our stories, or our challenges, neither should we compare our losses, and yet it's so easy to do. I remember once hearing John Acuff say, never compare your middle to someone else's beginning, and I think this phrase applies uniquely to loss, grief, or sorrow because the journey of grief is not a linear progression. There's often a start, but not a stop. There's a beginning, but no end to the journey of grief on earth. It twists and turns, bends at certain corners, and even tunnels through mountains. I personally don't believe it ever comes to a stop while we're living. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. There was no might, maybe, or if in his statement. Since that's the case, how do we navigate the murky waters of the ocean of life when the nets of grief have roped us in? There's a quote from my book, One More Step, that is controversial for some people. I say that God would rather hear about your bad day as not hear from you at all. 
There are folks who believe that's not true. I've had emails written to me that firmly state, God hates complaining and murmuring. We shouldn't go to him with our complaints. Mercy, have you ever read the book of Psalms? Sorrow after sorrow and grief after grief. Many of the Psalms are praise-filled and triumphant. But many are not and don't even end in praise. I'm pretty sure they were written in a minor key. In fact, there is no high note, just verse after verse of lamenting and sadness, crying out to God. Oh, friend, I don't know what I would have done if I couldn't talk to my best friend about my pain. The Lord is my best friend, and he longs to be yours, too. One of the very best first steps you can take after loss is to recognize that God wants to hear your heart's cry. He longs to listen to you. For those of you who are listening who are parents, think about this. If one of my kiddos is having a bad day or a rough season, I don't want them to hide it from me. I don't want them to try to keep their pain from me. No, because I love them dearly, I want to hear about their pain. I want to sit with them in the hurt. I'm not perfect at it, but I'd rather hear their heart, even and especially in its wounded state, than I would to have them separate themselves from me. That's the story of love. God longs to listen to you. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And I love the New Living Translation of Isaiah 65, 24. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. David cried out to God time and time again throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 56, 8, he says, You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Not only do we need to recognize that God hears our cries, but he loves us so much that he holds on to our tears and our words and counts them as treasure. The Lord is keeping an account of our sorrows, and one day all wrongs will be made right. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. How then do we continue living until we get to that day when death and sorrow and crying is only a part of the past? After recognizing that God wants to hear the cry of your heart, I believe the next thing I learned in the darkest spaces of life was to lean into him for the strength that I needed. What does that look like? I believe it can look different for different people, but to give you an idea of what it looked like for me, I'll share a little of what my days looked like after Taylor went to heaven. For her entire life, we had a lot of practice getting through tough seasons due to the neurological degeneration she walked. So I had cultivated a means of stockpiling strength from the Lord. You could call me a scripture hoarder, if you will. I would put a verse or phrase on repeat in my mind. When I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, felt too long for my brain to process. I shortened it to, I can do all things through Jesus. And in desperation, I shortened it further to, Jesus, help me. It was like my exhale was, Jesus, I need you, and my inhale was his mercy and grace for another breath. Every person on the planet who has lived through loss has purpose for your life. God is not finished with you yet, and so he continues to put breath in your lungs. 
As long as you are breathing, life has meaning. We have to realize whose strength it is that we need. We can't make it on our own, even on our best days. This month in the August Bible Reading Challenge, I host on rachelwojo.com, we're walking through 31 prayers of men and women in the Bible. And on day 9, we read Judges 6 and the story of Gideon. Gideon is living in a time when the people of Israel had done evil in the sight of God, and because of their unfaithfulness, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. This group of people was extremely oppressive and cruel, and they left nothing, and I do mean nothing, for the children of Israel to live off of. They ruined all the crops, the animals, and the Bible says in verse 4 of Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Judges 6 that they did not spare a living thing. Enter the story of Gideon. We find Gideon hiding out in the middle of this brutal war. He's in a wine press trying to thresh wheat so the Midianites don't catch him. Mind you, threshing wheat is something you do in an open field where the wind can be your friend and assist in the process. But here's Gideon inside the wine press trying to get a few grains so that his family can make bread to survive. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up in front of him. Only, he doesn't seem to know this person is an angel. The angel greets Gideon with these words, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I imagine if we could peek into the wine press at Gideon, we would see him looking over his shoulders with, Are you talking to me, look? And Gideon says, Excuse me, but I don't think the Lord is with me. And he goes on to ask two questions of the angel. The first he asks is, why is all this happening to me? And I'm not going to spend much time on that question other than to say it's a question we all ask and a question I addressed not long ago on this podcast. So if you're asking God why, then be sure to go back to episode two entitled, Why God Why? But then Gideon asks a second question, where's my miracle? He's like, look, dude, my father and grandfather and great-grandfather, they all talked about how God brought them out of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. They told me they were slaves, but the Lord freed them. But truthfully, I'm not seeing it. The land I'm living in is not the same one they talked about. They saw wonders and signs and miracles. I've got nothing. Where is my miracle? Listen to Judges 6.14 and God's reply. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I wonder what the tone was like at this point in the story. God is saying to Gideon, 
I am your strength. I have all you need. I'm the one who is sending you and I have all the power. But Gideon had a comeback. He doesn't realize that God is his strength because he's so caught up in the circumstances. The ropes and nets of his situation have entangled him and he is mourning all that has been lost, even the loss of the opportunity of seeing the miracles his forefathers saw. And he says, I'm not good enough. My family's at the bottom of the totem pole in this tribal hierarchy and on top of that, I'm the least in my family. Gideon is saying there is nothing about me that is worthy to step up. I'm a hot mess. Don't you see me here hiding out in a place I shouldn't be, trying to do something unconventional so the enemy doesn't catch me? And God answers Gideon, I will be with you and you will be victorious. The enemy will not survive against my strength. Now we're going to stop there in Judges 6, although Gideon's story continues, but I want you to notice a few things. First, I think Gideon was feeling a lot of guilt and shame in that wine press. After all, he's hiding out here, doing a job that's meant for other places so the enemy doesn't see him or find him. And I just want you to know that guilt and shame are tactics of the enemy. You see, from the very beginning of man's sin, Satan has used guilt and shame to separate us from God. What happened when Adam and Eve had sinned? They hid. And right now, in your deep pain and loss, you may be feeling a lot of guilt. Because why would God take your loved one and continue to give you breath? How is it that you're the one who's still hugging your loved ones and drinking sweet tea and enjoying simple sunshine? Those thoughts of guilt are not from God. Those are lies of the enemy that he whispers to your heart to try to tie you up in the ropes of grief. Don't listen to those whispers of guilt and shame. God has a purpose and a plan for every single life on the planet. Every human soul is uniquely designed with intention and gift. You see, God called Gideon out when he greeted him. Remember how he began his conversation with Gideon? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God didn't see Gideon as he saw himself, bound by grief and guilt. God saw Gideon as the mighty warrior he had created him to be. Perhaps it was his heart of unconventionality, his idea and determination to feed his family in spite of the brutality of the Midianites. Maybe those are the things that brought the Lord to him. We don't know for sure. But I want to make sure you don't miss this part of the story. It's easy to get stuck when your miracle doesn't happen. Why didn't God heal my precious Taylor and bring the miracle of life into her body? He has that power. He has that resurrection power. Why couldn't our family experience a miracle? Kind of sounds like Gideon, doesn't it? Lord, where's my miracle? And just like the Lord told Gideon, he says to us, that's not your miracle. I have a miracle for you, but it doesn't look the same as your dad or grandpa or great-grandpa. I'm inviting you to be a part of a different miracle. I'm asking you to step up and step into the miracle. I've almost finished Bob Goff's book, Dream Big, and he shares the story of a miracle in the book that I wanted to read you from the last chapter of the book. Listen for just a few moments. Bob says in chapter 29, Matters of the Heart, I have a friend named Kelly. 
She and her husband Craig live not far from me in Southern California. I met these two kind souls more than a couple decades ago, and we've been friends ever since. They have a joyful sense of adventure and anticipation about them, and it's magnetic. They pull you in like you were made of metal. As our friendship grew, I asked them about how they had met each other, what their ambitions were, and what things they had overcome together. I had no idea what I'd learn about them. Craig and Kelly both love the outdoors. They take 20-mile hikes up steep mountain trails to relax. Then when they get back, they go for long runs just to get some real exercise in. One day, Kelly came home from a hike and was feeling a little lightheaded. Instead of her heart beating slow and strong as it always had, it was beating rapidly and it wouldn't slow down even after she had rested for a while. She went to a doctor to have her symptoms checked out and they told her it was all in her head and she was probably just having a panic attack. If you've never had a panic attack, it's like having a gunny sack put over your head so you can't breathe and at the same time having a lightning rod stabbed into your heart. I'm told it feels in equal parts like you just might die and you just might live. Those kinds of things aren't scary to a girl who walks on razor-edge cliffs carrying a 60-pound backpack for fun. Still, the panic attack explanation didn't sound right to her. She took the doctor's advice and met with a psychologist a couple times who gave her some useful input. Down deep, though, Kelly sensed there was something more to it. A few weeks later, Kelly's heart started racing again. This time, it was galloping even faster than before. When your heart abandons its regular rhythm and beats this quickly, the muscles just slap at the blood instead of opening and closing to move it through the body. The consequence of this is that the oxygen the body needs isn't getting where it's supposed to go. Kelly made it to a hospital, her head still spinning. Something was definitely wrong. The doctor in charge figured out that this was not a head thing as the other doctor had suspected. It was a serious heart condition. Kelly's heart had been invaded by a virus and was about to stop beating. No one really knows where she picked it up. She was transferred to UCLA Medical Center where she promised herself and the people she loved that she would live. This was the ambition she was pointing at. Kelly is a fighter. She's as scrappy as she is kind and this was going to take everything she had. The doctor came into Kelly's room a short time after she'd arrived and had been hooked to a dozen machines monitoring her failing heart. He pulled up a chair next to Kelly, flipped through some charts, and gave Kelly the chilling news that her heart was irreversibly damaged and was dying. Her options were grave. She would either get a new heart or she wouldn't survive. Alice lived on the East Coast, loved horses, and was quick to say yes to any chance to ride. She had ambitions like all of us. She wanted to make her life count for something bigger than herself. She wanted to be part of something that would outlast her, as we all do. She had a daughter she loved, and they would blow bubbles together and whisper to each other about the adventures they would have together. It was a beautiful fall day, and Alice was riding. In a tragic moment, she was involved in a terrible accident. It wasn't the injury that ended her life, but a brain aneurysm that arose out of a complication while she was at the hospital. She was pronounced brain dead. It was a moment of unspeakable grief for her family, but Alice had been ready for something like this, and her donor card allowed doctors to use her organs. The paperwork was organized, and although Alice's life was over, she still had one more gift to give away. The phone rang at Kelly's hospital. 
The administrator told her and Craig the words they prayed to hear. We've got a heart for your wife. The skilled doctors and nurses successfully replaced Kelly's heart with Alice's. When the operation was complete, the doctor gave Kelly's new heart a flick, and it started to be in her chest. That's an incredibly miraculous story. And if you loved that part of the story, you'll definitely want to read the rest of it because I didn't even get to the crux of the miracle. I can't spoil it by giving away the ending, but it's so miraculous on many levels. Kelly knows that living in guilt and shame because she was given the gift of Alice's heart won't honor her second chance at life. The spring after my precious Taylor left our family for heaven, my Tristina was to sing in a school choir concert. Tris wanted to stay home from the concert, and I didn't ask her a ton of questions, but maybe she was feeling a little like Gideon, frustrated, wishing for a different ending. I encouraged her that Taylor really loved to sing, and if she were here, she would tell Tristina to sing. So our brave girl stood in a choir full of kids who most likely didn't know or understand why the tears fell down our girl's cheeks as she stood and sang, I am a poor wayfaring stranger. Listen to these words. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world below. There is no sickness, no toil, nor danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my father and all my loved ones who've gone on. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way is hard and steep, but beauteous fields arise before me where God's redeemed their vigils keep. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. So I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. I watched a miracle unfold that day. Though we know that Taylor's full healing came in heaven, that day the beginning of another kind of miracle emerged. It's so easy to ask God, where's my miracle? Sometimes we can't see the miracle because God is calling us to be the miracle. And that, my friends, is today's thread of hope. Until next time, God sees you and knows your need. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.